What's up, Jordan? How's it going, man? A big news today as it relates to NFL football. Nothing to do with the actual playing of the game, but it was announced that the halftime performance for Super Bowl 56 coming up next year, it is Super Bowl 56, I believe, right? It is going to feature a conglomerate of some of my favorite hip-hop and R&B artists. It is going to be a combination of Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, anybody born between like 1977 and 1985 is going to freak out at this uh, halftime show. Uh, so on a scale, because you're a little younger than me, but I think you have a respect for history. And so on a scale of 10 to 12, how stoked are you for this Super Bowl halftime show coming up? <laughs> yeah, I lost count. I have no idea what number Super Bowl we're on. Um, th this is big. This is big. I mean, this is this is cool, right? And it's is Jay-Z still, like, producing this thing? Like, wasn't there, like, a partnership or something? And yes. So, so he's going a little more West Coast, at least, you know, with some of these guys, you know, with Dre and, and Snoop. And, no, it's – I think there's been a resurgence, right? Everything's cyclical. And so, like, the 90s are kind of back in, from what I'm told. Like, you know, the, the movie that sort of chronicled uh, NWA, right, a handful of years ago. Like, the music's back in, right? Some of this old, old school, right? Like some, some of the classics, uh, which I'm sure just makes a whole lot of people feel old. Um, it's cool again. Like it's cool. Snoop Dogg's still making commercials left and right. Like Eminem, right? He's still of a certain generation as well. Uh, no, this is this. I'm excited. Yeah, you're talking about uh, Straight out of Compton, right? The biopic yeah, about yeah, yeah. That was uh, the movie. NWA. And, and you're absolutely right. Jay-Z forged that relationship, right, with the NFL uh, on behalf of Rock Nation, where he would help basically put on these halftime shows. And uh, yeah, he went out and got some of the legends of the game. So I'm very, very excited about that. It probably shows my age a little bit. But Kendrick Lamar, he's a little bit more contemporary. I think some of the young yeah. kids will think that it's lit. Anyway, uh, what is your pick, though? Because I'm excited about this one. I think this one has the potential to uh, be an all-timer from my perspective. But what is your pick for the best Super Bowl halftime performance up to this point? Yeah, I mean, they used to like just throw marching bands out there, right? They, they were doing <laughs> some like HBCU marching bands back, by, back in the day, by the way. Like, bring back Southern and Florida A&M. Those, those, those would be fun. But I don't know. I'm a Bruno guy, and so I'm <laughs> partial to Bruno when he was the headliner. Right in, uh, what was it, 2014? I think it's like the year before or after Beyonce. They all sort of blend together, those like 2010s, this decade, or, or the previous decade, I guess I should say, of uh, of halftime shows. So, yeah, I'm, I'm partial to Bruno. There was less pyrotechnics involved in the Bruno show, but he is such a good performer. Um, it is very, um, it kind of reminded me of the Michael Jackson in the early 90s at the yeah. Rose Bowl. Like, you know, it was very much that. It was like them putting a concert on. It wasn't the Super Bowl spectacle necessarily that you come to expect with, like, extravagance. But uh, in terms of pure entertainment, uh, those are my top two. Yeah, it's still okay to say that I enjoyed the Michael Jackson performance. Like, or is that still socially acceptable to say that? If not, then I will bail out of that and go with Bruno Mars. It was also like, wasn't it like a couple years later, they had Coldplay, but they didn't really feel maybe that Coldplay was going to capture the hearts of the football watching viewers enough. So they brought in Beyonce and Bruno Mars <laughs> and they totally just kind of elbowed their way uh, onto center stage and, and Coldplay was kind of an, an afterthought. So yeah, I would suggest, yeah, this should be pretty fun. Uh, I'm definitely excited about it.
And with that, we welcome you to podcast number 83. And we're going to have uh, one of the dons of Central Oahu football joining us, Darren Hernandez. He is the head coach of Kapule High School, the Kapule Hurricanes. They are part of the open division, uh, of course, part of the OYA, meaning that they have not received the green light to start playing games yet they were given the green light to start practicing last week and so they are just getting into the rhythm of getting these players these kids prepped to play some actual games some high school football here the ilh has been going it's been uh, actually pretty entertaining on its own for sure not having to follow the same guidelines as the public school leagues uh, and so this is an exciting time and we keep our fingers crossed that uh, everything is going to go as scheduled but Darren Hernandez is a guy who has been a part of that area, that region of Oahu as a head coach for a long time at Campbell, after that Kapule, and he is also a fixture on the Spectrum OC16 broadcast coverage. Uh, he's been doing his thing and, and uh, he just has a way with words. I love listening to him. Uh, he has a, a very overt passion for the game. He's just one of the good ones, man. And so we're very excited to be talking with him at this time as prep football on a wider scale is starting to rev up. He's seen it all right over the last three plus decades. And, and he's coached a lot of really good ones. He continues to put a lot of talent into the collegiate ranks at, at all the different levels. I, th I think it is one of the most impressive things that he does is is the fact that he kind of gets these guys in position to go play and, and go get an education. But but yeah, he, he's a good guy to talk to, right? As the OIA gears up, there was a lot of buzz around the the private schools have been playing at least on Oahu, um, but the public schools, man, they've they've been raring to go, and there there is at least a plan right now in place with with some safety measures, and and it seems like this is as close as we have gotten to actually getting back to games on a wide scale basis across the state. Um, and it's great that the private schools in the ILH have been able to do it because they've created a little bit of a template, right. And proven that it works. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to talk to him. I know he was excited to, to get back on the field with his guys. Yeah. In fact, why don't we just uh, jump right into that? Uh, because it is very topical. He also comments on the fact that as of now, no uh, spectators or fans are going to be allowed at those sporting events. Obviously that's been big news and, and a big topic of discussion statewide as it pertains to the university of Hawaii athletic team. So uh, why not uh, just jump right in here uh, with Darren Hernandez, head coach for Kapolei high school. All right. It's good to see Darren Hernandez. Uh, I had the privilege. I know Jordan has had the privilege as well, working alongside this guy. Uh, not only is he a longtime fixture, kind of like the dawn of central Oahu football, but uh, he is a guy who just loves to talk the game. I mean, you love to live football. And that's what I've always appreciated about you is just that enthusiasm. And we were talking before we started recording this and you were saying you've been in coaching now for 28 years. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, you know, not, not counting the JV years, but uh, I started off as the JV head coach uh, at Campbell High School, 92 and 93, uh, then moved on uh, to Kapolei in 2000, uh, where I was the JV head coach because we didn't have a varsity. So that was 2000 and 2001. And here I am, 2021 and still going strong. What is the motivating force behind that for you? I mean, I know you just have a passion for the game, but but what else is there that that drives you each and every time around this period of the year uh, to get revved up for the season? Well, it's just it, it, there's it's a lot of things. It's the smell of fresh cut grass. It is 
summertime. Summertime is football time. You know, some people think summer is for uh, summer soccer or summer baseball or summer basketball. But for me, I've always been a football purist. And I'm like, wait a second, summer is for football because the, the very next sport, as soon as school starts, it's not any of those other sports. It's football. So uh, I just love the game. You know, what it's done for me, uh, you know, I was a knucklehead running around school think, thinking I was a tough guy. And it took a coach to grab me by the collar and say, hey, man, you know, you think you're a big, tough dude? Come out and play football. And uh, it changed my life, the discipline, just, and it just, you know, I, I just love doing it. I love being around these young men and it's more than just football. You know, we teach a lot of things. Uh, we talk about domestic violence. Uh, we talk about uh, how to be a man, you know, be on time, treat people with respect. We talk about uh, social media and do's and don'ts. And, and there's so many pitfalls that young people have to navigate through that, uh, I take this job extremely serious. Uh, a lot of these kids don't have father figures. Uh, we buy stuff for them uh, all the time, and we just love on them. And it's not just the players on the field. Um, you are also someone who works with young people in the classroom setting. And in fact, full disclosure, this is an audio-only podcast. But as we're talking to you over Zoom here, you are fully decked out in a suit and tie. Uh, but that is part of... of some messaging that you were trying to uh, present to your students in the classroom today. Exactly. Uh, we have a, I teach uh, geography and economics uh, and government in the business academy. And so we have a dress for success day. We tell the kids to dress up and shirt and tie. So, uh, you know, if you're going to ask the kids to do it, you have to also walk the walk. No, that, that is awesome. Uh, you, you look good, by the way. We are both severely underdressed, Kanoa <laughs> and I. Um, but that, that's usually the case when you're hanging out with Coach Hernandez. Uh, before we kind of dive into the, the, the world of coaching high school football in 2021, uh, I was kind of curious, you know, we, we got into a little bit of your background, how long you've been doing this, you know, better part of three decades. What, what's, what's, what do you think's changed the most? What, 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 is, what is the difference between coaching those JV kids at Campbell in 1992 and, um, you know, coaching, uh, coaching kids now here in 2021? Uh, I would say a, a couple of things. Uh, one of them is uh, the actual uh, training has really improved where kids now start training at a much younger age. Uh, in the past, the kids would come to you out of shape and uh, two a days was a chance to whip them into shape. The kids come in uh, very in very good condition. They work out year round. Uh, they, they, there's so many camps and clinics that they attend throughout the year. So uh, they're much more polished. Uh, I would say the, the second big thing is a uh, parental involvement. Uh, parents in the past, they just kind of like gave you your, their son and it was like, all right, straighten him up. You know, as long as he's not hanging out at the park after school and he's involved in some kind of structured activity that was great for them. But uh, now the parents are very, very invested in their child. Uh, they want the best for them. Like any parent would uh, inc that includes the whole nine yards, college scholarships. So parents uh, have high expectations and they have, um, you know, they, they really put a lot into each child. So, you know, uh, Again, I, I was a parent. I understand it. And uh, sometimes parents can get over eager and um, 
you know, sometimes parents may move their kids to another school, for example, if they see a better opportunity. Uh, I don't get mad about it. If a kid leaves my program for another program um, and the parents don't like what they see here, uh, I get it. Uh, that's the parental uh, right. And I just got to kind of live with it. You know, I just got to yeah, do better so they don't leave. Yeah. I, I can attest to that. I, I've been around you long enough. I, I mean, you really do. It is really about the kids, even if they do move on to another program. Uh, I can only imagine that there has been a lot of parental input as to the return to play here uh, as, as we get back to it. Uh, for the folks that, that are unaware, the, the public schools around the state basically getting back into football activity last week, Friday, the 24th. We thought we were going to get on track early in August. They had the pause. Well, what, is, what has it been like the last, what is it, about six, seven weeks where everything got, got put on hold, the, the vaccine uh, requirements or testing requirements were unveiled and, and people are still understanding that. But, but what, what, what's it been like for you to kind of organize your guys and, and, and navigate your way through this you know, seven-week period to get back on the field? Uh, what is the old saying? It's like herding cats. Um, <laughs> first of all, that, you know, I, and again, this is of the policy that we were given, and a lot of the parents were given the uh, opportunity to either get vaxxed or they could have a religious or a, a medical exemption. Uh, so again, you know, that's not, for, for us, we don't really ask what, what it is. We just, they go through our administration and through the trainers to get their uh, paperwork done so that they can get out on the field. So it, it's been tough. I mean, so some, some people are against the vaccine for many, many different reasons, more than I have even uh, thought of. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I called some parents and I called every parent actually, and some of them are you know, raring to go, they got the vaccine. And again, it is their prerogative. It's their business if they don't want to get it. Um, so some have opted not to play sports at all. Some have opted to tr try uh, get an exemption and whatever they decide, that's fine. Um, but we just want to play football. And that is the thing that it's so frustrating because, you know, honestly, if you look at the school population, there's no such mandate for the students, the normal students that sit next to, in class, sit next to the athletes that uh, are, you know, having to be tested and or vaccinated. So that's kind of been the frustrating thing, you know, I mean, either make a blanket policy for everybody maybe or, or, or something, but my goal is, you know, I, I don't care about the politics of it or what people's opinions of vaccines are. I mean, you know, if you go on social media, everyone suddenly has a PhD in virology. Uh, so I'm, I'm just here to say, look, let's just get these kids uh, out there uh, and let's get them to play as safely as we can. It's all about the kids. Yeah. And you mentioned the phrase parental involvement. And as it currently stands, parents aren't going to be allowed to attend these sporting events. It's been big news uh, in the realm of University of Hawaii sports and UH football in particular here. This is homecoming week and nobody, family included, outside of the UH marching band is going to be allowed in that stadium on campus. Uh, and I was just wondering what your take on that is and, and the impact of that. Uh, I mean, you know, you when you are a head coach for a high school football program, it is so 
connected to the community. It is so community oriented. So not to have that piece there, how does that impact things? You know, it's disappointing. It's disappointing for all involved, for the parents who can't come to the games. Uh, you know, that's it's tough for them. I couldn't imagine, you know, let's say your son is a senior and you want to watch them play and you can't do that. Uh, it's kind of heart wrenching for the uh, for the parents. Uh, I, I don't know. As far as the politics, it just it just escapes me. You know, when I watch college and high school football on the mainland, we have full stadiums. People are shoulder to shoulder. You know, there's a hundred and ten thousand at Michigan at the big house, and we we can't allow families to come in. I mean, I, at least the families. I mean, you know, if they're all vaccinated, if they're wearing masks, if they're in a pod. Uh, and the family, the parents could come in and parents and grandparents can watch their child. I think that would be a, a really great thing for, for, the, for the community. Well, this definitely wasn't something you imagined having to navigate through as a head coach, but that's the reality of 2020 and now 2021. Uh, but there will, uh, with, with all the luck and blessings in the world, there will be some football played here and the Kapolei Hurricanes will take the field in October. So let's get to that. Uh, what kind of team are you anticipating Kapolei uh, putting out there when they start up games mid-October? Well, that's the big mystery, isn't it? Because... Remember the last time we played, we were it was 2019. We had three kids that we um, we had three kids that we brought up. Uh, we had three kids that we brought up to the varsity um, <clears throat> as sophomores. So those three kids are now seniors. But other than that, everybody else was uh, JV players, and so uh, we don't know how you know these some of these kids are going to play. Um, we haven't seen them in a year playing sports, playing football. Uh, so, uh, but we're, we're excited because the kids have been coming out uh, before the break. We had, we didn't have summer pass league, but we had one scrimmage. And in that scrimmage, we got to see a few guys and how they play. And so we're excited about getting back out on the field. Yeah. How, how, um, how normal has practice been? How, how abnormal has practice been now that you guys are, or back out there with with kind of the go ahead. Well, aside for uh, aside from like wearing masks, that's been the toughest thing for everyone involved, especially the players. But they lifted the mask mandate for any for the football players if they're outside and they have helmets on, they don't have to wear the mask because you have to wear a mouthpiece, and that would be really tough to do both. So, so that's been pretty normal. And uh, the coaches still have to wear masks. But as far as the players, that's been pretty normal. Um, they are really excited. And, and here's the new normal. Uh, we can't be as strict as we used to be on missing practice if you're sick. Because if a kid has a runny nose, we don't know, is this, does this kid have a cold? Does he have COVID? Uh, is this going to spread through the team? So we talked to the parents and said, look, if, you if your child has a runny nose or any symptoms keep them home and we just have to work around that is there a is there a sense you know i mean it, you get into the season right and, and people talk about you know who's who's going to contend who's going to play for championships and not that that's not important here but is there is there a sense that that is a, a little bit more of a of an afterthought with just how excited it sounds like your kids are, are to be back out there i think once you're out there you play to win 
you know, you you are out there to compete and to win. I, I think the buildup though has been uh, great for the kids. They love, you know, preparing for the season and the kids just want to play. But I know that every contest they're in, they're going to fight and work hard and uh, because they, they deserve it. They've been, you know, short changed because of last season, especially those that are seniors now, they are amped about just having a season and playing football. What level of competition can you then expect with all the time off for a lot of these kids and coaches? Uh, do you anticipate come October that it's going to take a little while, take a few actual game reps to, to kind of get back, especially in the open division, to what that level of OIA football is, is usually one to represent? Yeah, I think so. I think in the beginning, um, you know, no matter what, even if a kid is in club football or practicing on the side with with whoever it is, uh, do, doing reps, that kind of stuff, it's still not the same. You know, seven on seven is not real football. You know, um, a quarterback can look amazing in seven on seven, but when there's four um, fire breathers coming after him on every play, uh, it's it's a different story. And so we you know, we take it with a grain of salt, actually. We love the competitive nature of seven-on-seven football and passing leagues, but uh, real football uh, is when you add the linemen to it. That's that's what makes it real football. Well, it's the, the imagery that you use uh, through your words, like fire breathers, that has also parlayed uh, you into being such a fixture uh, in another realm here uh, related with the game of football, and that's as an announcer uh, with Spectrum OC16. You even called a bunch of uh, University of Hawaii football games in the past, but you've been doing that now for going on, what, 15-some-odd years? So uh, how has the balance between being a teacher, being a father, being a head coach, being a every-week broadcaster, primary color commentator alongside guys like Jordan and Felipe Ojastro, how's the balance act of that been? Oh, it's it's a huge balancing act. Let me tell you, uh, my days start at 5 a.m. I wake up every morning, uh, go for a walk, lift weights uh, every day, and then I come to school uh, and I have school all day. Then, So, for example, right now I'm on a break. Uh, then I have JV practice from 4 to 6 p.m. Then varsity practice from 6 to 8 p.m., Monday through Thursday. Uh, uh, tonight, uh, usually Thursdays, is, uh, is our uh, players-only meeting. Uh, it's kind of a tradition here at Kapolei. The Thursday before the game, the players go up in the stands and they uh, meet. Uh, so tonight will be the first one since we just came back. So I'm going to go. I'm going to get them Costco pizza tonight. And uh, so the parents don't have to worry about feeding them. Uh, and then we're just going to let them go. And they, they, they just kind of talk, you know, they talk about football, about life. Uh, some of the captains are, are vocal. Some of them are not. They lead by example. But uh, it's a lot of fun uh, to, to see the kids bond like that. Well, if I may uh, just ask you to, to put the, the broadcaster hat on for a moment, uh, because there has been some high school football. It's been primarily with the ILH, uh, and we had a pretty big upset here uh, this past week with Kamehameha knocking off St. Louis, sort of uh, outgridding St. Louis down the stretch and just able to hang on for a slim win. Um, how important or, or how impactful is that result, would you say, and uh, and and? Where do you see the powers right now uh, in, in high school football line? 
Well, it, I think it's very difficult to say uh, as far as the OIA. You know, you have traditional powers like Kohuku and Mililani that always bring their A game and always have a loaded roster with a lot of talent. So you can't discount those guys, but we haven't seen anyone play yet. So I, I, I really can't say uh, for the OIA yet, uh, but the ILH, man, that is some exciting stuff going on right now. And, you know, I, I tell you, the um, Kamehameha just brought it back to the old days with the run game and, and all of that stuff that they did, just a, a physical O-line, running the football with CO Bartley. That really is something that we haven't seen in the ILH for decades. The, de uh, the ILH has been an air it out type of league. And so Kamehameha decides, you know what, we're going we're gonna to break the mold here and we're going to run the football. And they did it great. Uh, they did a great job of it. Um, so I think that brings balance. You know, um, they, they had a tough game against Punahou where they, they could have won and, and Punahou came back at the end. Um, I really think St. Louis still is the best team in the ILH, despite the loss. Uh, they have the talent, they have the firepower, they have the weapons, they have the tradition, the mystique, and they also have uh, the Lee brothers. Uh, so I think that they will regroup and they will be just fine. And I look for them to probably come out on top in the ILH. Yeah, it's going to be a... Um heavyweight battle every week in the ILH. And of course, it's a little different, right? The last couple of seasons, you go back the last couple of football seasons um, that were actually played. We, we had the crossover games. We had the partnership between the OIA, the ILH and, and the interleague matchups. And that was, you know, kind of scrapped out of necessity here this season, but, but just getting word that, you know, Kahuku is going to play Kamehameha next week over at Farrington. Uh, I think Damian Moanalua have set up a matchup as well in an interleague game. Uh, to kind of kick off the the OIA teams in competition, uh, do do you expect to see a, a, some of that throughout the the rest of the season for these OIA teams in the ILH? Kind of trying to find games where they can throughout this game. Is that something you got you you guys yourselves at Couple Air looking at? Yeah, I think so. You know, we're, look, we're going to look at our bye weeks and uh, see which teams also have a bye week and see if we can open up and play a game. It's all about games, uh, getting the kids exposure trying to get the kids an opportunity to play more games the, the merrier i mean for these kids they just want to play I mean, if we had a 15 game schedule these kids would be down for that they just love football and they and you know these high school kids have so much energy i remember once one of the parents told me man these kids you guys you know they run so much and they work so hard uh, aren't they tired after the game and i said no look at them and after the game we had a we had a real physical game, uh, a homecoming game. And after the game, about an hour after the game, the kids were on the field throwing and like tackling each other. I mean, they got amazing energy. Yeah, it, it is amazing. It is amazing the amount of talent that comes out of here as well. And we, we've seen a lot of kids move away to the mainland over the last couple of years with the uncertainty with with Hawaii high school football. But I, I got to imagine there's going to be a few more guys that, that we get to know their names maybe we hadn't heard of before. From some of these OIA teams, whether it's Kapolei or elsewhere, that uh, you know maybe playing on Saturdays here sooner rather than later. Oh yeah, uh, I, I love college football because you get to watch all the stars uh, from University of Hawaii. I mean, uh, that didn't go. Some are at University of Hawaii, uh, like Chevin Cordero, 
but you can watch quarterbacks like uh, former Kapole, um gunslinger Taulia Tangovailoa, you know Dylan Gabriel was recovering from a, a broken collarbone, and you know all these all these kids that are making an impact here at Hawaii and on the national scene. So Saturdays is is a great time to watch football because you can see the high school kids that you watched and that I watched, and now they're playing uh, at, a, at a higher level. It's a lot of fun. And that's a wonderful way to sort of complete the circle of this conversation, I think, because uh, that is another aspect of your coaching career that it appears you have put a lot of effort into that you have prided yourself upon, which is getting a lot of these kids opportunities at the next level, whether it be Division One, FBS, or FCS, or even lower division programs. Uh, that's something that you have, have definitely put a lot of work into. Um, what, what is your vision there uh, when it comes to the Kapolei program? You know, I would say that's probably one of my primary um, roles as a coach is life after football. So I take it very seriously. Uh, we've placed kids in Japan, universities, uh, Canada, all over the USA, as far away as uh, Vermont uh, on, on the East Coast. So, uh, I, you know, there's so many different levels of, of football. I'm constantly, uh, you know, looking under every rock to find an, a place for kids to play because it's not about D1 all the time. Sometimes you can play at a D3 a school and do great. You know, I tell the kids, uh, the, the there's magic number is 48, you know, 48 games. You have 48 games in four years to play. Uh, you don't want to go to a place where maybe you, you don't fit in. You're at a D1, you're a walk-on and you won't get in. You won't get in the game. And it's not going to be fun. You know, you just want to uh, <clears throat> explore all the options that fits you. And, you know, this was born out of my own playing career. Uh, when I was a high school senior, um, I remember a couple of college coaches came and I was a rough around the edges kid. And I remember I overheard my co one of my coaches tell the recruiter, nah, that guy, he's a, he's a head case. He's a troublemaker at Hernandez. <laughs> and it, it just, it stung me. And I was like, wow, you know, and I, and I, I vowed I would never uh, short change a kid I would never talk bad about a kid I'm going to be honest if the kid is you know uh, lacking in an area I'll, I'll be honest at all times with, with the recruiters but you know in my own career I, I had to go to a junior college I walked on at the University of Hawaii uh, played football there for three years um, and I, I always said look man if it wasn't for football I don't know where I'd be you know I was the first in my family to graduate from a four-year university it was because of football that kept me going and kept me interested at school so uh, I, I just can't you know uh, you know I just can't you know put into words how important that next level preparation is for kids and it may not just be football and, and it may be, it may not just be college they could be going to a, a trade school for example but the but the skills and uh, that they learn, the life skills they learn in football, being on time, being a part of a team. Uh, we always tell them, there's a quote that every kid that comes from Kapolei will tell you, reliability beats ability. You know, because you can be a great player, uh, but if your grades are terrible, if you skip school, if you don't come to practice, uh, 
and you're not reliable, then we can't use you. It's amazing. It, it's as if you're one of your roles as a head coach is also as a college counselor in, in many ways. I mean, you are helping to direct these kids. You're helping to make contacts with a variety of different institutions and programs. I mean, uh, that's a lot there. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I just, it's because I'm, I've been around so long, I guess I'm old, but, uh, I've been around so long that I know so many of these coaches and a lot of these young up and coming coaches, uh, they were young assistants and now they're coordinators or, uh, you know, even head coaches, you know, um, uh, for example, uh, Boise State's head coach, Andy Avalos, uh, or Avalos is pronounced. He was a young, like, GA, uh, just out of Boise State, and he would come and recruit, and we'd, we'd develop the relationship. He's a great guy. Now he's the head coach. I mean, uh, you know, and, and a lot of my former assistants uh, on my own staff have become head coaches at other uh, high schools and that's cool to see as well yeah well it's a it's a wonderful uh, we were talking before we started recording this you mentioned just how blessed you uh, feel you are because of this wonderful ride that you've been on and and I know we've been able to glean a lot of uh, pleasure and enjoyment out of what you do as a coach and certainly as a broadcaster and uh, maybe my favorite Darren Hernandez line talking about a kid who had particularly large calves he said he doesn't have calves he has cows and I will never forget that. That's one of my favorite uh, Hernandez-isms right there. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Yeah, and you know, I can always, when, when as soon as a kid walks into my classroom, just by his walk, I can tell if he's an athlete or not. Just by the walk. I look at the hips, the calves, the, the feet, how they move. And I've been around so long that I can tell, okay, this kid is going to be an athlete. And, you know, if he has a certain type of uh, duck walk or, or feet, I'm like, uh-oh. This is not going to be this. It's not going to work. I, is it bad that uh, I've never had anybody in my life ever tell me that I walk like an athlete? Like nobody has ever said that or communicated <laughs> that to me. So um, <laughs> God bless those kids. Uh, hey, coach, thanks so much. We appreciate the time and, uh, you know, keep up the great work. And uh, let's hope to see some OIA football here as scheduled come mid-October. Thank you, my brothers. Have a great and blessed day. All right, big thanks once again to Darren Hernandez, and good luck to the Hurricanes here in this prep football season. We get to some of our game time discussions, though, and uh, UH football, uh, they are trying to navigate through not having any fans at that Clarence T.C. Ching Athletic Complex, including their homecoming game, which is coming up this weekend against nationally ranked Fresno State. But the Warriors did improve to two and three overall on the season with a road victory at New Mexico State this past weekend. Hawaii showed some big playability, Jordan, an opening 74-yard touchdown pass from Chevin Cordero to Nick Mardner. Another how-did-he-do-that reverse field touchdown for Calvin Turner Jr., who was our guest last week, and talked about what goes through his mind on a play like that. And it was basically a carbon copy of what we were discussing, the play that he had against Portland State earlier in the year. So that was pretty cool to see. Uh, UH decided to, because it has been a bit of a different attack offensively week to week. Uh, this one was a little bit more run-oriented, and UH was able to serve it up, right, averaging six and a half yards per carry racking up 215 yards on the ground Diedrich Parson going for 89 yards to lead the team he also had a tutty uh, so what did Hawaii show you you think versus the Aggies as we get ready and gear up for this big showdown with four and one and nationally ranked Fresno State on homecoming Saturday 
Yeah, it was maybe the most consistent the offense has looked, right? A week after 11 punts against San Jose State, they just punted it three times against New Mexico State. Um, and really, two of those punts came on the first two possessions of the third quarter. So other than that, they were moving the ball well. Uh, you know, there were, there were turnover mixed in in the mixed as well, in the mix as well. But, you know, you had the big play over the top. Um, Nick Mardner continues to really, really play well. I mean, the guy's averaging over 90 yards a game on like less than five catches a contest. So his, his production per catch is really, really impressive. And, and I think the one thing for this team, though, and, and this is as much based on um, what they do well as opposed to you know what they're trying to do well, they got to run the football. Uh, and we saw a little bit of that, uh, as you pointed out, some of the rushing yards, what they were able to do on the ground. Uh, we've seen multiple players be able to go off, if you will, running the football, right? Whether it's Day-Day Hunter, Parson, who had kind of been their red zone, short yardage guy, he can break out. We know what Calvin Turner can do running the football. We know what Chevin Cordero has done, uh, not necessarily in design runs, but what he can do extending plays and, and on broken plays. And so the reason I bring that up is it is pretty clear that the passing game by design, whether this is the best way to go about it or not, is predicated on that run fake. Like they show a run fake on a lot of their pass plays. That's that's what they do. Uh, and so you just make it more effective if you can actually run the football, right? The, that, that run fake doesn't mean a whole lot if the other team doesn't think you can run it on them. Uh, and so they, they really need to do that. And, and I think another thing that we see here with Calvin Turner and, and the debate that seems to be going on, right? Do you play him at receiver? Do you play him at running back? Do you play him at both? Which I think is the correct answer. Um, He's basically averaging 10 touches a game, five catches, five rushes. That's not enough. He's got to touch the ball more than 10 times a game. Um, and you can hand him the football, not necessarily lining him up at running back. I'd, heck, I'd put him and a guy like Day-Day Hunter in the backfield at the same time. You can motion him in from the slot. It doesn't have to be those fly sweeps. You know, line him up back there in, in, in certain situations. Five of his six touchdowns, he's got six touchdowns through five games. Five of them have come on the ground. And so you, you got to get him rushes. That, that's just... I think the numbers show it. It's a big enough sample size, nine games last year, five games this year. He has dropped a few more balls than you'd like. Sure. That doesn't mean you stop throwing it to him. Um, but five carries a game isn't enough. It's not enough for him. And, and 10 touches total a game, it, not enough. They, they got to get him the ball more. And I know it's at the expense of other guys, whatever. He, he's your best offensive weapon. Don't overcomplicate it. Uh, give him the football. It's only going to make your passing game better because you can fake it to him. You can get guys like Mardner loose you can get guys like jared smart loose uh jonah pinoke who is emerging i like what they're doing with him um they got weapons they got weapons but but the way they're going about it they got to run the football for that passing game to be effective yeah we talked last week about hawaii lacking in identity and i do agree with you i think this game resembled a little bit more of what hawaii should be and maybe they are starting to get a more clear-cut idea as to what their identity is that they have to be effective on the ground in order to set up the rest of the offense but when it comes down to it you have calvin turner jr who is a once in every what five to ten year type of talent you get him the ball every which way possible and yes he has had some drops but I, I agree. I don't think you should shy away from still trying to find any which way, whether it's bubble screens, inside screens, handoffs, reverse sweeps, like anything. Like you need the ball in his hands because he is that 
dynamic of a playmaker. You got to make sure you get him the legit amount of touches to fully take advantage of his talents on the field. Now you got Fresno State coming into town and they have quarterback Jake Hayner, who's ranked seventh in FBS with a 73.1% completion rate. Wide receiver Jalen Cropper is the reigning Mountain West Offensive Player of the Week after his performance against UNLV last week. So they're four and one. They had a big win over UCLA at the last second. Uh, They haven't been, I would say, running the ball as effectively as you would normally think a Fresno State Bulldog team would. Their offensive line is a little bit flimsier this year, not quite as as stout as we've seen it in past seasons. But that said, you're also talking about one of the bugaboos for Hawaii defensively, which is stopping the run. We've made a lot of teams that weren't necessarily running the ball really well look like they were on game day against the Rainbow Warriors. So how are you feeling about the Bows and their chances here this week against the Bulldogs? I mean, honestly, not overly confident. It's a good Fresno State team. They went on the road in week one after a a week zero win against UConn, but they went on the road and gave Oregon, I mean, everything the Ducks could handle. They they had the ball with the chance to go drive the field and tie the ball game in the fourth quarter against Oregon, who we all know what they did the next week at Ohio State and are now ranked third in the country. (laughs) And we saw what they did against UCLA, where they traded touchdowns late, and Jay Kaner is one tough dude because in both of those games against Oregon and UCLA, he got beat up. But he kept getting up and he kept leading that team on touchdown drives, um, you know, kind of hobbling, stammering around, just just his body taking a licking. They're good. They, they really are. And, and I'm with you. They, they don't, maybe don't run the ball as well as you would have expected, especially with a guy like Ronnie Rivers back at, at running back who has done it, you know, for for a couple of years now. Um, but what Hayner and that receiving core um, are capable of and, and you talked about Cropper um, right to, in getting the, the weekly honor on the offensive side of the football they're, they're, they're really good. They, they are a top 20 team. I mean, they, they've, they've been part of the conversation. I know Cincinnati's the highest ranked group of five team, but I mean, there's legitimate conversations, right? It's, it's fun water cooler talk, but whether Fresno's the best group of five team and, and, you know, with their resume up to this point, hard to say, I know Cincinnati's playing at Notre Dame this weekend, but um, it's going to take a lot, no doubt about it. it. It really is for this university of Hawaii team. Now I, I do think they have the pieces like Hawaii has the pieces to score with Fresno state. Cause I, I, I'd, I'd anticipate Fresno state putting up some points here. I don't think it's going to be a game like San Jose a couple of weekends ago. Um, and so it, it, it puts the pressure on Hawaii's offense. No doubt about it. They're going to have to play their best game of the season, but it, it it's a long shot. I, I do think it's, it's, it's going to take a, a pretty Herculean effort by this Hawaii team, but it, it's been done before, right? Hawaii is, is in this role at home, it's usually in front of a pretty raucous crowd at Aloha Stadium, you know, maybe a Friday afternoon or something like that when Derek Carr came to town 20 years ago. But they, they've got the pieces to go win this game, but it, it's going to take a lot. Yeah, and that's sort of the final point to be attached to this discussion, uh, UH football-wise, is the fact that it's a homecoming game, and there will not be a crowd there. The marching band, yes, uh, that's going to be the, the same atmosphere that Hawaii had against San Jose State a couple of weeks back but no fans on homecoming I mean it is obviously disappointing you had that interview that that uh, was making the rounds on social media and and on TV Howard Dushevsky of KHON uh, talking with the governor David Ige who basically said hey look the hospitalization numbers while they've gone down a little bit they're still very close to the maximum Uh, ICU available beds still very close to the maximum and so we can't afford having a large gap gathering at these UA sporting event, uh, events said that it 
broke his heart to have to uh, stand by that restriction. Uh, are you hearing anything that the governor is saying? I mean, I'm hearing it. I just, I just have a hard time. And look, I, I am, I fully acknowledge the necessity to keep our community safe, to keep our hospitals functioning and making sure that they are viable in terms of providing care and not having to turn people away, whether it's for COVID or, or other, you know, acute type of, of care that is needed. Um, but I, I think I have a hard time and I think a lot of people have hard time because there's inconsistencies, right? I don't think there's any denying that. Um, and there, there are other events that are going on still that have gone on um, that are of similar size, right? I mean, Hawaii's not asking for 9,000. It was, it was a request for 1,000 people in that stadium spread out, socially distanced, 100% vaccinated with masks. Um, you know, for Rainbow Wahine Volleyball, it's, it's 150 people in a 10,000-seat arena. Uh, Rainbow Wahine Soccer, I think it's like 250, something like that. At YPO, which which holds a few thousand and is completely wide open. I mean, you could sit on lawn chairs if you needed to there. Um, and so there are there are events that are going on still that have mitigation plans, that have um, safety security plans, very similar, if not nearly identical, and quite honestly, maybe not even as stringent as what the University of Hawaii has proposed for their events. And and those have been able to go on. And they've been able to go on, and I would say pretty successfully. Like, I, I think for the most part, whether it's in the community, right, whether it's, you know, business ventures or whatnot, um, they've, been, they've been able to follow these plans that have been proven, that have been shown to be effective. Um, and so why the University of Hawaii does not get that opportunity, I, that I don't understand. If it was a blanket thing where, like, you couldn't have any gatherings, right, whether you had a mitigation plan or not, if you just said, look, there is no exceptions, that's one thing. But, but there are, there, there are events going on. There are places that have gotten those mitigation plans approved to hold events, you know, 75 people upwards of that, even a few hundred, you spread them out, right? Again, they, they're, there are protocols that we have learned that work um, and why the University of Hawaii can't do that, I think is, is the big head scratcher. That, that's, that's the big frustrating point. It, it, it doesn't add up. We've always talked about the need and, and maybe questioned the fact that there isn't as much of a symbiotic relationship between the University of Hawaii and that athletics department specifically and the state of Hawaii, whether it be Hawaii Tourism Authority and that agency, or whether it is in this circumstance where if you're the governor, uh, you can utilize the draw that is University of Hawaii sports, the profile that is University of Hawaii sports, you can use the University of Hawaii as a means to further incentivize possibly uh, people to get vaccinated. And, and it's, it's that sort of two-way benefit uh, we've seen, you know, Hawaii battle the stadium authority over the history of the Aloha Stadium. Uh, it, it's just that two-way relationship doesn't seem to be uh, taken advantage of enough. In my opinion, I think this is another opportunity, another example of how they have uh, fallen a little bit short uh, to, to maybe uh, be able to use University of Hawaii sports in a way that reflects positively on the community around it. All right, you mentioned Rainbow Wahine Volleyball, and they had a bit of a setter switch here this past weekend in matches against UC Riverside and UC Davis on the road. Hawaii started freshman setter Kate Lang out of Texas 
for those two matches. Lang helped guide UH to two sweep victories, or what you hit a high percentage in both of those matches. She was named the Big West Conference Freshman of the Week for her performance. This weekend, Hawaii hosts Long Beach State and Cal State Fullerton Friday and Sunday. Are you expecting Robin Amo to stick with the frosh at the setter position? Yeah, I think so, right? I think you gotta. Like, they, they're playing as good as we have seen them play throughout the season. I know they had some 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 really nice flashes, especially in some of those home matches against, uh, you know, Power 5 opponents, if you will, A&M, uh, USC. Uh, but it was it was up and down, no doubt about it, with Mylana Bird in there. Um, but I, I think you got to – and to be fair, um, Davis, uh, who was the other Riverside, they, they're – they're not world beaters, right? They're, they're both, I think five and eight and four and eight or something, four and seven, something like that. So look, they're not, they're not the upper echelon of the conference. Don't get me wrong, but um, I, I, the, the offense seems to, it seems to have a little, a little something to it, right? With, with Kate Lang out there. And and we're, we're even seeing a few other faces maybe that we hadn't seen early in the year, come in, play a little bit of back row service, but like Robin on and, and that's the thing that, that I always have appreciated about her as a coach. She is willing to shake things up. And if you can play, you're going to play. And if you're the right person to play, whether you're a true freshman, whether you're a fifth year senior, whether you're a transfer, if you're the best person for the job, you're, you're going to play and you're going to get your chance to, to go ahead and impress. And I think it's kind of hard to say that Kate Lang didn't kind of take that opportunity and run with it. Um, and maybe we'll see a little a sprinkle in, right? She's also been unafraid to play a 6-2 and play two setters. Like she she is not afraid yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Robin Amo at least entertain the idea of a two-setter system. They got Long Beach State on the other side of the net on Friday. Kashana Williams, who is tops in the Big West Conference in kills per set, averaging over four and a half kills per set, just absolutely murders the ball. Uh, and so Hawaii's block is going to be tested, and it is going to have to be effective to slow Kashana Williams down. And I would say that would be the only concern, really, regarding Kate Lang. She's a little bit undersized, or certainly diminutive compared to Mylana Bird. And so it behooves Robin Amo, perhaps, to consider at least the idea of maybe we go Bird in the front row and Kate Lang in the back row but uh, you're right with Robin Amo you can never use pen when you write in the starting lineups from match to match from set to set even uh, because she will shake things up all right with that uh, it's time to get to our post game best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui's premier full service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. I don't know if you hear the sirens in the background over here, but there's something going on where I'm at. So uh, hopefully everything's okay wherever those sirens are headed. Uh, But let's go with our best and worst here. I'll start with my best. uh, And I'm going with the Ryder Cup victory for the United States. I'm not really like a major Ryder Cup fan, or at least I haven't been traditionally, but I was fixated on this. I mean, I watched pretty much wall-to-wall coverage uh, several days in a row, watched the repeat when I couldn't watch it live on the golf channel and uh, I was into this thing and it was pretty cool to see the U.S. uh, dominate in the way that they did Uh, you even had that moment when they were all celebrating it looked like everybody was getting pretty well oiled and inebriated uh, following their performance Uh, you basically had Justin Thomas who encouraged Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau to embrace as friends and shake hands and hug and they did that's probably my least favorite part 
of what transpired the week of the Ryder Cup because I like when they're combative. I like the, the idea of them being bitter rivals. Uh, but I have to say, it was so entertaining. The crowd was so alive and the players were so into it, pumping their fists, gesticulating to the fans. Like it brought out a side of golf. And I guess this is what it does every time. <laughs> Although I just haven't been so closely into it. I would dare to say that maybe the Ryder Cup is the best event in golf. Is that ridiculous? Should I should I go and be locked in a room somewhere for for even suggesting that? No, I mean Rory McIlroy more or less said the same thing, right? And and you know there, there are other events that that you're going to want to talk about, right? No no doubt about it. Um, but it it is it's one of the best spectacles in sport. Like you you talk about the crowds, right? And, and to me, like the Masters is still um, sort of this this mythified event, um, but it, it it's on the end of the spectrum of golf. That is the very hoity-toity country club. Um, it's a little snobbish, right? Maybe maybe a lot snobbish, but the history is there, no doubt about it. It's it's the Masters, it's Augusta. There's something magical about you know that course in April and and all all that comes with it. Bobby Jones, right? But then on the other end of golf, which I would say is like 98% of golf, is you and your dudes, you and your guys out throwing back beers, playing on a course, like your weekend warriors, your after work nine, whatever it is. Like that is the majority of golfers out there. And the Ryder Cup is that with the best players in the world, right? So you got you can have multiple just great events right whether it's the masters it's a, it's a little more uptight or you got the Ryder cup which is just let loose right dudes are chugging beers between the morning session and the afternoon session sergio's drinking beers after rounds like cheersing the american fan that's what i love about the players you can see how much they are having a ridiculous amount of fun because they can let their hair down they can they can interact with fans um the electricity there i love the europeans I love the team because guys like Sergio, like they love playing the heel. They love the, the, the crowd booing them and cheering again. Like I just, I, everything about it is so much fun. That is, and it's, it's hard, right? Because golf, it's, it's, you got rules, you got, you know, you got all this. It's a little, it's a little stuffy at times, but when these guys just can kind of let their, and then the competition is great. Like this is the, the, the 20, 24 of the, you know, I don't know, 30 best players in the world. And they're really freaking good. And that course, like, I don't know how you go ahead and shoot low scores on that thing in the wind. It's it's just everything about it. Like, it, it, it's it's so much fun. And also, why don't the Olympics do stuff like this? The Olympics are boring. It's just a stroke play tournament in golf. Like, put teams out there. I need, I need best ball. I need alternate ball. I need scramble events. I need all of that. Like, the Olympics, take a note. This is what we should be doing in the Olympics every other year. And then the Ryder Cup. I can't wait till it goes to Europe because the European crowds are just as electric and honestly a little more clever than we are when it comes to to heckling kind of loving this new wave of professional golfers too right like these guys yeah, they're, are they're awesome. kind of on the younger side like jack nicholas uh you know arnold palmer like these guys aren't racking silver bullets at the end of their Ryder cup rounds you know what i mean like these guys are going there i love that uh it seems like we're actually spending a lot of time talking about and glorifying the beer drinking aspect of the Ryder cup. But I actually really, really enjoy I think that's a huge component of it. Yes. <laughs> it's a huge component of my golf game. That's, that's for sure. Relatable. That's right. That's right. All right. What's your best. Yeah, my best. I, I'm all in on the, uh, the Brady Belichick reunion uh, this weekend, uh, the box visiting the Patriots. And I've kind of, it's become the, the, this is a little, a little, 
um, snarky on my part, but I just love, you know, there's a new Seth Wickersham book coming out. Like we, we repeatedly want to revisit like the Brady Belichick postmortem. Like what went wrong? Why did it, why did they break up? Like um, they spent 20 years together, went to nine Super Bowls and won six of them. Like, are, why, why do we need to understand why? Like, of course it even had to come to an end at some point. Like, I, I, I don't understand why there's some like big dissection of like, where did it fail? I don't know. It didn't really fail. They went to nine Super Bowls. They won six of them in 20 years. Seems like a pretty big success to me. Tom wanted a little, little way, you know, we wanted to go down to Florida for the, the twilight of his career. Fine. Belichick, he's a little stuck up. He didn't want to go meet Brady in person to say goodbye. He's got to move on. He's got a game that season to prepare for. Like, I don't, I don't understand the whole like obsession we have with like figuring out what the soap opera was. It's like, I don't know. I think it worked out pretty well for 20 years. Yeah, because neither guy is going to give us anything, right? I mean, yeah. Bill Belichick's not yeah. going to utter two syllables that will be juicy or sensational in any way regarding their relationship. But imagine putting yourself in Tom Brady's shoes, and you win six Super Bowls with this guy, and you're in your 40s, and this guy's still trying to coach you up like you just came out of college, like you're still that late-round draft pick out of Michigan. And it's like, bro, I just won six Super Bowls for you. Maybe we can ease up. Maybe you can give me a little bit more leeway and latitude to have a little fun. It's the reason why Gronk retired, and then all of a sudden his buddy goes to Tampa Bay. He's like, I'm unretired. And now Gronk is looking like he's a spry young tight end juggernaut again and Tom Brady his personality is coming out and you can absolutely understand if you're Tom Brady and you have that level of success and you're that old why that Bill Belichick style just gets kind of tiresome and so it, it it's no mystery in my mind why this thing evolved to a point where it's like you got to move on. It's just like any relationship. If you're the same person that you are 20 years later when you marry somebody, uh, there's a good chance that that's not going to work. You have to evolve. Every relationship requires that. And I think it's pretty clear that at least on the part of Bill Belichick, very little evolution to decipher. All right. What's uh, your worst? Yeah, I'll let you go first here because I, I think I think I know what your worst is and I'm, I'm going to tag team on this. Oh, OK. All right. OK. I like how you did it because uh, this one hits personal. And that's why I was going to give you the floor first, because I'm 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 sharing myself with the listening audience here because um, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. Right. Honolulu blue through and through my Detroit Lions. They seem to find new and ever more painful ways to fail and disappoint their fan base, including this past weekend when they had the Baltimore Ravens on the ropes. Lamar Jackson and company, a fourth and 19 on their own 17. I'm on the golf course while this game is going on. I'm following via the stat cast. I see that it's fourth and 19. So I then log in to watch the video of the game live right in time for Lamar Jackson to complete a 36-yard pass and get the Ravens on the Lions' side of midfield, 48-yard line, basically setting up a last-second opportunity for Justin Tucker, statistically the greatest kicker of all time. But this is what happens to the Detroit Lions. It goes from 4th and 19 under a minute to go against the vaunted Baltimore Ravens. It looks like a home field victory for my Detroit Lions. And it turns into an NFL record-setting 66-yard field goal by Justin Tucker that bounces off the crossbar through the uprights. It wouldn't have been good from like three inches further away. Like it's just crazy and crushing and heartbreaking. So the Lions are over on the season. They face your Bears this week. I have very little confidence 
but this is a tradition for us. Are we wagering anything here? Yeah, we, we got to wager something, right? We got we got to wager something. I'll, I'll mull on this a little bit. Um, but, but but my worst are the Bears because <laughs> as as I, I feel for you on the Lions thing, like that that is just I don't I don't understand how that could have happened. The fourth and nineteen, the the, the sixty six yarder, like what in the world? How does how does any of that happen? And and I guess the Lions make sense, but the Bears the Bears weren't shockingly you know, joy stolen from them. Like they were just atrocious. Like Justin Fields comes out. He's going to be the savior. Great. Awesome. Mobile. We're going to move him around. We're going to move the pocket. We're going to show what he did at Ohio state. Nope. None of that. They ran 42 plays. They had 48 total yards of offense. You know why? Because they had nine sacks. Justin Fields got sacked nine times in 42 snaps. That's like one every four dropbacks. How, how is that even possible? That's how bad they are. So, you know, your Lions are in great shape this week. Let me tell you, you know, I'm pretty sure they're favored. Maybe I got, I don't even know where the game is. I got to go look at it. But yeah, it's the, the Bears, like bad for different reasons. Do like, you agree? Awful. Do you agree with Dan Orlovsky that Matt Nagy should just be fired? I would have the- fired him. I would have fired him Sunday night. I would have fired him Sunday night. I really think he should be fired. Uh, I like uh, Olin Krutz, by the way, who maybe should have been my best. He's a great analyst, by the oh way. Oh, my gosh. He's great good. analyst for NBC Sports Chicago. He's got uh, the No Name Football Podcast. Love it. Um, yeah, a lot of the former Bears, in particular, he, Lance Briggs, Jason Mackey, uh, a lot of these guys who still cover the team are, are yeah, they've turned completely. Like, they're, it, it, that was so bad. Like, the game plan was so atrocious. Yeah, I would have fired him Sunday night. Like, I, I, they need to fire him. It's it's not going to get better. Yeah, Olin said. It's gone on for too long. Olin said at the very least, and he is really, really good. You're right. Uh, he said at the very least, he's got to remove himself from coordinating yeah. the offense. Like he needs to uh, let go of those reins because uh, to have that circumstance with a rookie quarterback in Justin Fields and to have that game plan with that offensive line as it's currently constructed, uh, basically you're just feeding Justin Fields to the wolves. All right. So what about our wager? I'm thinking if the Lions win, by the way, the Bears are favored by three points. Yes, um, the game's in Chicago. It is in it. Chicago. I don't plan yes. on watching. Okay, all right. That's where well, I'm at with this. If the Lions win, you have to, at least for a portion of your next episode podcast with Hunter Hughes for Hawaii Football Now, you have to put the Lions logo as your background. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, we use a silver background anyway, so I think I can superimpose <laughs> the lines there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, I say if the Bears win... I'll, I'll get you a bear's hat and you got to wear it next time we go golfing. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's we, fair. We'll post a picture. Yes. Yes. All right. So uh, this will be very social media oriented here. The stakes of this major uh, bet that we have going on this, this wager that nobody I'm else in the world is going to care about, yeah, but it nobody's going to watch this game. To I'm not. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's going to be on the same day as what will likely be like the highest rated regular season football game in a long time uh, with the uh, Bucks and, and Patriots, the lions and bears will be at the bottom of the stack, but it's going to be the one that means the most to me. And with that, uh, we conclude our best and worst segment brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Big thanks once again to Darren Hernandez for joining us. He's a legend. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808. Jordan, see you next week, bro. See you, bud. Go, Go Lions! Bears.